Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.41 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 1st of October 2021, and this is episode 486 of Bitcoin and What a Pump. Got big green dildos all over the place, man. I'm just like literally looking at a, a screen full of uh, BX wrecked, wrecked shorts on uh, everything from Bitcoin to XRP. And I, although I I saw a massive liquidation of something like, <clears throat> what, what the hell was it, man? It was like 500 billion contracts. Yeah. 500 billion contracts of XRP Z21 uh, at like, I don't know, point f- and then five zeros and then a two and a one and a three, whatever the hell that is. So somebody got liquidated and that doesn't, you know, that doesn't surprise me because yesterday, yesterday, Brad Garlinghouse, who's under investigation by the SEC, you know, just decided it was going to be okay, just absolutely okay if they, let's see, what did they do? They unlocked 500 million XRP from Ripple escrow wallet worth right around $474 million USD. All right, so yeah, that happened yesterday. And of course, we started seeing, you know, these, these longs get freaking liquidated out the, out the ass. So yeah, Brad Garlinghouse does it again, takes your money, even though he's under investigation by SEC, he does not care. All right. That's what, you know, what that is. That's not, that's not narcissism. That's beyond narcissism. That's somebody who is like, just like thinks of themselves as godlike. All right. So y'all be careful. Stop with the shit coining. It's just going to get you in trouble. And stop with the with the whole, we're going to trade the market. Don't, know. Just for God's sakes, don't trade the market. Just buy Bitcoin. Hold your Bitcoin. Don't spend your Bitcoin. Unless, unless you're going to go down to like someplace like El Salvador where they're using it as actual currency. And then, yeah, you know, buy some, buy some more extra Bitcoin and then spend that shit. Fuck yeah, dude. Let's go. All right, what's first up in the... Oh, first up is to remind you guys that if you want to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do that. If you want to deal in dirty fiat, uh, I have a Patreon page set up. It is Bitcoin and Podcast, all one word on Patreon. You can search it from there. Also, uh, podcasting app 2.0s will allow you to listen to the podcast directly in either a podcast app or something like the Breeze Wallet, which is a full-blown you know, uh, like Bitcoin wallet, but you can stream me Satoshis over the Lightning Network from that wallet while you listen to these dulcet tones inside that wallet. And if you want to help support me, uh, support the show, support the work that I'm trying to do here, then that would be 
that's two of the ways to do it without being, you know, getting too off in, out in the weeds. No, I don't have uh, Twitter tips uh, available to me yet. It seems to me that honestly, they should have picked a whole shit ton of plebs before they rolled it out to a, a whole bunch of rich people. Because I think the plebs would have done, I think we would have been way more active showing each other, you know, dollars being sent via the, uh, the web app than what we are actually seeing on the release of the strike API and the first customer usage of that API being the Twitter, right? I think we would have done a much better marketing job with sending a whole bunch of pictures around than what we're actually seeing. So Jack, you know, dude, if you can get off your ass, uh, could you go ahead and unlock the lightning tips in, in, uh, in my Twitter account, please? That would be, that'd be great. Try to help you out there. Now, Federal Reserve Jerome Powell. He's saying that the U.S. has no plans to ban Bitcoin and crypto. Well, we'll see here. Alex McShane is going to tell us all about it from Bitcoin Magazine. On Thursday afternoon, during the oversight of the Treasury Department's and Federal Reserve's pandemic response hearing, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell confirmed that the U.S. has no plans to ban Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. During the hearing, House Representative Ted Budd from North Carolina questioned Chairman Powell about the state of inflation in the United States. Powell deflected the inflation questions, claiming the inflation in this country is due to the oft-repeated supply chain crisis caused by the government's pandemic response. <laughs> Effectively, the chairman said that the Fed's hands are tied when it comes to inflation and that relief will come. Powell suggested inflation should go down in the first half of next year. Okay, next year. <clears throat> Ted Budd then cited Powell's previous comments on central bank digital currencies and their impact on stablecoins, Bitcoin, and other cryptocurrencies. Budd quoted Jerome Powell from a July hearing, quote, you wouldn't need stablecoins, you wouldn't need cryptocurrencies if you had a digital U.S. currency, end quote. Bud continued, quote, So, Mr. Chairman, is it your intention to ban or limit the use of cryptocurrencies like we're seeing in China? Jerome Powell replied, no, and went on to explain how he had misspoke at the time. Bud restated his question, But you have no intention to ban them? Quote, no intention to ban them, Powell responded and went on to explain that stablecoins ought to be brought into the regulatory framework. For many Bitcoiners, such exchanges in Congress are frustrating to listen to as the Fed's understanding of the difference between Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies leaves a much to be desired. However, the incessant gr grouping of Bitcoin with other cryptocurrencies by the Fed and members of Congress means that we can safely assume <clears throat> Chairman Powell was speaking to Bitcoin as well. From a regulatory standpoint, there is still much work to be done by Bitcoiners and politicians <clears throat> to accurately represent and define where their interests align and thereafter make an informed decision whether to, or sorry, whether and to what extent to regulate Bitcoin. <clears throat> in any case, the United States regulation of Bitcoin is still an embrace of the technology, which from a geopolitical perspective couldn't be more different from China's approach. China's loss is America's gain. Let's talk about that for a little set, for just a little bit, boys and girls. The only way, the only way that China's going to be stopped doing what China's doing and spreading their bullshit. And God, and I hate to say it, 
because this is exactly the same, sort of the, exactly the same way that all the, the weird shit began right after World War II with the Soviet Union and the stoppage of communism via the Cold War. And I can't remember who it was that said it. I was either, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Lyndon B. Johnson said that a iron curtain had descended across Eastern Europe. And he was talking about the start of the Cold War between the United States and, and Russia. Now, as to whether or not we were actually backroom friends with Russia at the time, and we were all snickering and, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, we're going to really put the, the populace of the world in, in a complete hellhole? I don't know. I don't need to know. I don't need to put on that tinfoil hat. <clears throat> all I need to know is that <clears throat> until the very, you know, until the early 80s, mid-80s, the world was basically in hell, although not like it is right now. It would, this would, That was a mild hell compared to what we got going on now. However... You know, and it's not just communism. It's just the whole police state that China wants to usher in. If the United States and the and Western Europe and the rest of the, you know, for, quote unquote, first world wants to have any freaking chance whatsoever of not having to go through the crap that China wants to, you know, to extend to the rest of the world, it's going to be with Bitcoin. And, and by the way, we're going to need to make friends with our southern neighbors, if you're in the United States, we're going to need to make friends with our su southern neighbors really damn quick. Okay, so there's a couple of ways to do that. First of all, stop looking at the people that are coming across the border as some kind of disease. They're not. They are people. And guess what? They don't want to leave Mexico. They have to. They don't want to leave Guatemala. They have to. They don't want to leave Brazil or Argentina or Chile. They have to. Right. That's why we get them. That's why they come up here. Right. And we always talk about, oh, it's like you should just appreciate them for the fact that they want a better life. And that's why they're coming to the United States. Fuck that. That's not why they're coming to the United States. They may or may not get a better life and they damn well know it. They're fleeing their homelands because of reasons that you don't want to know about. And I don't want to examine. I'm just going to assume the worst from stories that I know about personally. And thinking of these people as a disease is the wrong way to go. Two, <clears throat> all these years that we've sent our manufacturing and service industries to India and China, actually China and India respectively, so India sort of has been our help desk for the last 20 years, and China has been basically our corner store for the last freaking 20 years. If we had not done that and instead sent all that shit down to Mexico, Venezuela, Argentina, Brazil. Actually, Brazil probably didn't need it, but you get my drift. All the poor people in all the poor third world countries down south, if we had sent that shit down there, the world would look very much different. It would very much be in the favor of the Western Hemisphere. It would very much be in the favor of LATAM, right? Latin America. It would very much be in our favor over here. Even Canada would benefit. And they, you know, Bush started that whole free trade, you know, North American free trade agreement that everybody lost their goddamn minds over. And it didn't matter because it, there's no way that you can have a North American free or a NAFTA or any kind of free trade agreement if you've shipped all of your manufacturing and service halfway around the world. Why would you help out a person on the other side of town and shit all over your next door neighbor 
and then expect that when your house burns down, that your neighbor is going to come right out of his house and help you try to put out the fire. They're not because you shit all over them. You're being real nice to the rich guy over on the other side of town, but you're basically not doing dick for your neighbor. So why do you expect your neighbor to help you? Why do you expect, you know, Mexican nationals and, you know, Latin Americans that are the poorest motherfuckers on the planet to stream across the Rio Grande into Texas and then from Texas all the way through different places in the country? They got no manufacturing. We didn't give them any of that. We didn't give them any sort. If we, we should have probably never given it away in the first place out of the country, but we did. So the question becomes, why did it not go down south? Why did it go to China? Why did it go to India? Somebody I, I dearly love said, well, David, it's because they're smarter. They're more educated than the people in Latin America. That's bullshit. That may, that may be, it may be not entirely distrue that they're not as educated as China and India, but does that really matter for what we sent over there? Did we send our nuclear science over to China to be worked on over there? No, we didn't. We sent the, you know, we sent our air conditioning manufacturing over there. Guys, being able to put together a refrigerator can be done just as well in Mexico City as it can in Beijing. Okay, so rant over, sorry, but, okay, well, actually not rant over, fuck it. Let's go. <clears throat> we start making friends with our southern neighbors right now. And that means opening up lightning channels from us to them right now. And that means bolstering what the hell's going on in El Salvador right now. And yes, you've got to watch Bukele like a hawk. You've got to tell the people that you know in El Salvador to watch their own president like a hawk because this shit can go south real quick. It can go south like a duck in winter, as I say. So, but regardless of Bukele and his machinations, regardless of any of the other little banana republic wannabe dictators, it's not the dictators that we need to be making friends with. It's the population in the countries that are in Latin America. and We need to start that shit right now. You need to put up... We need to put up all of our prejudices and we need to figure out a way to make Latin America the paradise that it can be, that it could always have been. And guess what happens? All of those people that took your jobs, guess what? They want to go back home. Why? Because they can be home. Nobody wants to leave their country of origin. You're not five years old and going, shit, I can't wait to get out of this place. You, you get out of this place because there's no opportunity but you don't really want to leave. And so many people go back home when it's all said and done. We start tight tightening the lines of communication and value transfer between the tip of South America all the way up to fricking Minnetonka, Minnesota, and possibly into Canada, although I think Canada is basically perma-screwed like Australia is, but let's just stick with the United States and Latin America. We have a chance to build an America 2.0. We really do. But the only way that's going to happen is if we take our prejudices of the people that are having to flee their homeland, which they don't want to do in the first fucking place, and throw them out the window. And the way that you prove that you've done that is you start opening light. You learn the lightning network. You learn how to manage channels. And then you learn how to open them. And then you try to go find somebody in Latin America to open a lightning channel too. And then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. I got like a $200 donation 
over strike for this podcast the other day, and 100% of it is going to Lightning Network channel openings, specifically to El Salvador. All right, now the rant is over. Let's continue with the news. Speaking of Latin America, crypto gains ground in Latin America amid venture capital boom. Be careful, people. Here we go. September 29th. This is written by Andres Angler for Coindesk. Latin America is experiencing a boom in venture capital investments. In the first six months of 2021, the region registered nearly $6.5 billion in VC investments, a number even higher than the $4 billion registered in 2020 as a whole. According to the Association for Private Capital Investment in Latin America, crypto is playing a big part in this regional investment surge thanks to large sources with fresh money triggering unprecedented funding round levels and the birth of two crypto, quote, unicorns in Latin America, among several other milestones. According to LAVCA, or LAVCA, that's the whole private capital investment in Latin America Association. Smaller crypto deals have been recorded in Latin America since 2016 when Mexico-based crypto exchange Bitso raised $2.5 million from Cometa Fund and several other venture capital firms. Quote, then in 2021, we saw a definite uptick in crypto investments in terms of volume and ticket size, a spokesperson for Alavka told Coindesk. Latin American crypto startups raised $517 million dollars in announced VC funding during the first half of 2021, the same spokesperson said in a written statement, of the nine new unicorns <clears throat> or privately held startup companies valued at over $1 billion, born in the first half of 2021 in Latin America, two are cryptocurrency related. Mexican crypto exchange Bitso was the first after raising a $250 million share, or sorry, Series C, led by Tiger Global at a $2.2 billion valuation. Mercado Bitcoin, the largest crypto exchange in Brazil, raised $200 million in a Series B round from SoftBank Latin American Fund and reached a $2.1 billion valuation. These massive amounts for crypto firms this year have far outstripped their 2020 counterparts. Bitso previously set a record for Latin American funding last year after raising $62 million, a mere fraction of its 2021 round in a Series B. Cossack Ventures, which led the Series B round, is always looking for opportunities in Latin America, co-founder and managing partner Hernan Caza told Coindesk. However, the first waves of crypto projects were more global in scope and did not present specific solutions for regional problems, so Cossack didn't get involved. There is certainly no shortage of regional problems to address. Quote, in Latin America, we are used to exchange rate volatility, cost regulations, and untrustworthy currencies. In Argentina, a 10-year-old understands that there are different exchange rates, Casa said. He notes that projects are coming up with applications for local use. Quote, those players will be able to do much better (coughs) than global players in Latin America, he said. Ignacio Plaza Managing partner at Latin American venture firm Draper Cygnus echoed these thoughts. In 2021, Draper Cygnus announced a $50 million early stage fund to precede two Series A investment rounds. According to Plaza, undeveloped, underdeveloped financial services in Latin America are one reason why the region is an ideal place for crypto. Quote, Crypto is going to replace the existing financial infrastructure, he said. Yeah, you think? Some Latin American 
uh, focused projects after raising big rounds start expanding regionally. Mercado Bitcoin, the largest Brazilian crypto exchange, plans to expand from Brazil to Argentina, Chile, Colombia, and Mexico. <clears throat> Robert Drag uh, Dagnani, CEO and executive chairman of 2TM Group, Mercado Bitcoin's parent company, told Coindesk, the company has already been in talks with peers about potential acquisitions, he added. After it raised $50 million in a Series B funding round in September, Ripio plans to open operations in Colombia, Mexico, and Uruguay before the end of 2021. Chief Brand Officer Juan Jose Mendez told Coindesk. He added that the company plans to start operating in Spain in the first quarter of 2022. The company plans to announce the acquisition of an exchange in Colombia over the next few weeks. On a smaller scale, two Argentina-based crypto exchanges, Lemon Cash and Buenbit, face similar scenarios. Both raised their Series A, $16.3 million and $11 million respectively, and started their expansion process across Latin America. Bitso, established in Argentina and Mexico, was so interested in Brazil that the company's co-founder and CEO, Daniel Vogel, moved to Sao Paulo and hired Facebook veteran Vaughn Smith as the company's first chief operating officer to boost expansion in that country. The flood of fresh money is also sparking mergers and acquisitions. In February, Latin America-focused exchange Bitso bought Qdex, a crypto derivatives trading platform based and regulated in Gibraltar, while Argentina's Ripio acquired Bitcoin Trade, the second largest crypto exchange in Brazil, in an undisclosed transaction made in January. Kazakh sees outstanding regional talent creating global projects. The fund made its first decentralized finance investment in August, leading a $3 million round in exactly a startup that is building an open source non-custodial credit protocol on the Ethereum platform with global scope. Yeah, I'm not going to read that one because it's on a shitcoin and it's the very last of the uh, of the article. But you see what I'm saying? If you're if you are not keeping your eyes on Latin America right now, I don't know what to tell you. If you're thinking, oh, all the investments going over into, you know, into, I don't know, let's say Kazakhstan. Yeah, you're looking in the wrong direction, pal. Kazakhstan's in most of Eastern Europe, as far as that, you know, series of funding rounds are concerned, is not as exciting and not as potentially, you know, life-giving and not as potentially get-you-rich-ass shit-making as Latin America is right now. If you're not looking at Latin America, I don't know what to tell you. If you're not looking at Latin America, I don't know what to tell you. So here's what we do. We start throwing lines everywhere you are in the United States, or if you're in Europe, do it. you can do it there too. You start throwing lightning channels towards Latin America. I don't know. I mean, it's like, come on, what is, what's, what's 5 million sats going to cost you? And do it now while fees are cheap. Just open open a, a, a one-way channel. Start, I don't know, we got to figure out how to get to know these guys down there so that we can get some, some liquidity coming back, back and forth because we're going to need both ways. My point is, is that each one of these lines represents not only the ability to transfer value back and forth between your country and Latin America and make those bonds tight, but we're going to be sending information. They're going to be representative of a new type of brotherhood. They, these lightning channels are going to do way more than just be a payment channel. You have to see that. If you can't see that a lightning channel represents more than a payment channel, I don't know what to tell you. 
I just look at it as throwing a rope to these people. And I'm not talking about a rope to save their ass. Like you're throwing a rope to somebody in water. I'm talking about a rope that you throw somebody on the other tree so that they can tie it to that tree. You can tie it to your tree. And all of a sudden you can hand over hand from one tree to the other without climbing all the way down, walking across the floor and climbing all the way up their tree to go say hi and have a beer. I'm telling you, man, we have a singular chance in history to make the Western hemisphere pretty much the strongest hemisphere on this planet. But we have to start today. And we cannot wait for governments and you cannot wait for your senators and you cannot wait for your representatives. You cannot wait for these people because they do not care. If you care, then show it. You don't have to call your senator's office to say, hey, can I open up a lightning channel? No, you don't have to do that shit. Just do it. Guys at Bitcoin Beach, if, if, any, of the, if any of my listeners know the guys at Bitcoin Beach, send them this episode. I'm fucking serious. We have to start getting to know these people. And the only people that we can leverage right now are the people that we know as Bitcoiners that are on Bitcoin Twitter. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. There's no such thing as Bitcoin Facebook. Bitcoin LinkedIn, forget about it. No, we need Bitcoin Twitter. And if you know somebody at Bitcoin Beach, tell them that they that please help put together a list of people with their lightning addresses so that we can start opening up channels so that we can start throwing each other ropes and tie this little bad boy together so that by the time China wakes the fuck up and figures out what that they how just how badly they screwed up, that is going to be all over but the crying. Let's move on. <clears throat> Okay, Bitcoin Evergrande and the deteriorating situation in China. Speaking of China, uh, let's see. We first brought up Evergrande on episode 60. By the way, this is sort of a kind of like a uh, transcript of what's going on from uh, Ansel Lindner's uh, podcast, uh, FedWatch. But it is in, or rather written up in Bitcoin Magazine, and he always has really good insights. So bear with me. This isn't exactly a news article, but I'm also not going to play you FedWatch. I'm just saying, man. We first brought up Evergrande on episode 60 back on August the 11th, and at the same time, I made the call that China would enter a recession within three months. Our position on FedWatch has been bearish on China for over a year. My personal position has been bearish since well before the 2020 coronavirus began. I started the podcast by describing what exactly is happening. Evergrande is in massive financial trouble and likely to default on upwards of $300 billion in debt, but it isn't alone. <clears throat> to meet its obligations, Evergrande has been trying to liquidate its assets, including land, apartment units, commercial real estate, like its headquarters building, and more. All this liquidation pushes prices down, which negatively affect the price of assets on other giant real estate developers in China, and the contagion is spreading. 70% of household savings is in the form of real estate. Let me read that again, in case you didn't get it. 70% of household savings is in the form of real estate in China. The average person in China does not invest in the stock market or other financial assets. They strictly invest in real estate, gold, and Bitcoin to a degree. More, more auxiliary, auxiliary, God Lord, auxiliary homes are brought. God, I'm having trouble this morning. Guys, it's Friday. Give me a break. More auxiliary homes are bought in China than first homes. As you can see, consistently rising property values are very important. 
Evergrande cannot be viewed correctly except in the context of the overarching situation in China. The backdrop for this Evergrande blow-up is what I call the Second Communist Revolution in China. Marxism is a process which the CCP fully embraced back in the late 70s. First comes capitalism to build up capital and wealth to build the means of production. When the income inequality gets to a critical degree, the workers revolt and seize the means of production from the capitalists. In other words, a capitalist phase is necessary for Marxist communism. China is displaying a return to more strict communist principles. We've seen this shift towards more authoritarianism starting with Hong Kong, but now reaching tech companies, fintech, IPOs, the education industry, and clearly entertainment. There is no way that the CCP didn't see Evergrande coming or that it doesn't know how to bail it out. What the CCP is wanting is a redistribution of resources away from giant housing projects and into industry, and this is a very difficult task, one that requires the collapse of the property bubble in China. Ooh, that's going to suck, bro. The rest of the world is not immune from the Chinese credit collapse. However, it will affect different economies to a greater or lesser extent. The United States should be fairly insulated while countries more dependent on the current international liberal trade order like Germany might be hit harder. I draw the parallel to the European debt crisis after the first great financial crisis. At that time, the trouble was focused in Europe and the rest of the world simply slowed. This could be similar. China has a crisis and the rest of the world slows down. <clears throat> we are already in a period of shortening supply chains, onshoring, and realignment of trade partners. This Chinese crisis might quicken that process, cutting China off more from the world. Good. I'd screw them. Bitcoin has no counterparty risk. And in a deflationary credit crunch, you don't want to hold assets that are someone else's liability. Of course, in the credit-based money system we have now, that is nearly impossible, but Bitcoin provides an elegant and easy solution. Therefore, the dollar can rise in a liquidity crisis along with Bitcoin. It is important not to rely on the investment thesis for Bitcoin that relies only on inflation because when people realize we're stuck in a deflationary environment, the reason to buy Bitcoin would go away. I, <clears throat> so there you go. That's the, he's got one more paragraph, but he, it's it's sort of like a cap a cap it off uh, thing for uh, for uh, Fed Watch. All right. Yeah. See, he's seeing the same thing that he's sort of seeing the same thing that I'm seeing. But you got to give it to to Ansel Linder. He started calling this shit back way before the coronavirus stuff, right? Uh, I don't think very many of us can actually say that and get away with it okay but ansel can because he's been talking about this stuff for a long time uh hats off to ansel hey bro let's run the numbers cnbc forward slash uh futures and commodities we've got flammable liquids <clears throat> going down a little bit today uh, West Texas Intermediate down almost a full point, 0.85%, $74.39. Brent North Sea is also down, but uh, to the tune of 0.59%, $77.85. Natural gas is down over a little over half a point, $5.83, which is honestly still a really high price for natural gas, considering that the shit's everywhere. I mean everywhere. So why is it high? I don't know. I don't know, but it, I, I guarantee you it has something to do with the fact that there is limited supply due to the fact that there are limited supply pipelines for natural gas. Generally speaking, <clears throat> you don't build a whole pipeline 
for natural gas when natural gas is like trading at a buck 50, okay? So it doesn't matter. This is, that's one of the demonstrations that we get from Bitcoin mining on stranded natural resources. You can't even, it's not that you can't build a pipeline to it. It's not economically feasible to build a pipeline to it so that you can capture gas in times like this and sell the living shit out of it while the price is high, okay? That doesn't work that way. What we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to go and Bitcoin mine that shit out of the ground so that we get some value out of it. Otherwise, it's just gonna leak. Anyway, <clears throat> gasoline is up 0.18%. $2.20 per gallon. Gold down scant, it's at $1,754. Silver up a half point, platinum up a quarter of a point, copper's up one and a half point, and palladium is down damn near two points. Agricultural futures, eh, we got wheat up 1.55%, and everything else is kind of meh, except rough rice, which is down uh, uh, three quarters of a point. Dow futures down a third of a point. S&P futures are going to be da open down a quarter of a point. NASDAQ futures, eh, 0.11% to the downside. S&P mini is down a third of a point. Let's talk about real money at 47,224.91. Yay, we got a bump, dude. We got nice big old green dildo going on. So, 282,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is just under 12,000 transactions on average per hour. 1.23 million BTC have been sent back and forth in the markets over that last 24-hour period, and that is 54,000, or not 54, 51,500 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with the average transaction value of 4.37 BTC. The median transaction value, however, is 0.015 BTC or just over $700. And block times, as you might imagine, are low because a whole bunch of people just flipped on their miners because, ooh, $47,000, whoop de do. Eight minutes and 56 seconds, bro. 0.08 BTC taken to fees on a per block basis. 13.5 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours, that's in fees. 15.7% jump in hash rate, bro. 151.3 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is even doing well. 21 cents, 21.4 United States pennies. 0.214 United States dollars is what, what Doge is commanding right now. Oh, I remember Doge at 64 cents when somebody tried to get me booted off of Twitter because she bought a bunch of Doge and I called her out on it and told her that she wasn't that smart for doing it and she really should reconsider the direction of her life. And she just laughed at me and at 47 cents uh, sent me this, you know, a picture of, you know, her, this, this massive buy of Dogecoin at 47 cents. Have fun staying poor. God, sons of weird mother... Pus buckets. All right, 10,250 transactions are sitting, waiting on eight blocks to clear, according to Clark Moody. <clears throat> we have $893.3 billion of market capitalization, which is 7.75% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 26.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,831,272.75 of 
2,965 and a third of those are captured by the Lightning Network at a capacity value all-time high of $140.7 million. That's being run over 15,642 Lightning nodes that we know about with 73,166 payment channels open at this time. 73.7% of those are being run over the Tor Network which means that Tor has 2,183.9 BTC locked up inside its version of the Lightning Network, being run over 10,280 nodes that we know about. Price, uh, sorry, Clark Moody's price is $47,410. That's going to do it for Vitals. Did you listen to my warnings about not getting into DeFi? Or actually about getting into DeFi. You don't want to be in DeFi. That was the warning. Don't get in DeFi. Did you listen? Did you? I hope so because Coindesk has this one from Andrew Thurman. DeFi money market compound overpays millions in comp rewards. Impossible exploit founder says eight or $80 million is at risk. By the way, welcome to part two of the news that you can use. In a possible exploit, they keep saying possible exploit. On Wednesday night, decentralized money market compound has been erroneously paying out millions of dollars in comp tokens intended as liquidity mining rewards. Twitter user NapJenner first flagged the issue pointing to three Ethereum transactions showing users receiving a total of 15 million in, in COMP or COMP tokens in exchange for borrowing and supplying tiny quantities of tokens, including USDC, ETH, and DAI. Compound has a liquidity mining program that rewards depositors and borrowers, but often at a rate of a single digit annual percentage yield. The botched payout sums indicate a flaw in the comptroller contract, which disperses the comp liquidity mining rewards possibly related, related to a recent upgrade. Observers have noted that Compound's comptroller contract is not managed by a multi-sig controlled by Compound Labs, and any fix to the exploit may require a governance vote among comp holders. Per DeFi Llama, Compound is the world's fifth largest decentralized finance protocol with a total value locked of $10.2 billion. Compound acknowledged the exploit on its official Twitter handle and said no user funds are at risk. Likewise, Compound founder Robert Leshner acknowledged the exploit in a tweet saying that at worst only 280,000 comp tokens are at risk of being erroneously claimed. He also noted that there are no admin controls or community tools to disable the comp distribution. Any changes to the protocol requires a seven-day governance process to make their way into production. Labs and members of the community are evaluating potential steps to patch the comp distribution. Shortly after Leshner's tweet, at 1.38 UTC on Thursday, 9.38 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, some 91,000 comp tokens worth $27 million were claimed in a single transaction. The user appears to have supplied $0 in crypto assets to the platform. They paid $154.77 in gas fees to take in their dubious haul. The same wallet then swapped $140,000 in comp for USDC via Uniswap. The price of comp has plunged on the news, falling from a 24-hour high of $334 to as low as 290, which is entirely too high. 
At the time of this story's latest update, it sits at 290 bucks, according to CoinGecko. A request for comments sent to Compound Labs was not returned, and it's a developing story, story and will be updates or be updated. And here are the updates. Uh, there's four of them. No, uh, there's not a whole lot of, there's not actually a whole lot of updates in those updates. So we'll just move on. So if you were uh, big into Comp DeFi, how's it feel getting your ass handed to you and you can't do dick about it for seven days? You know what you could have done? And it would have been immediate? Not buy into the DeFi narrative. That's how you get whatever. Okay. Uh, Ukraine is building a digital future with Bitcoin, says Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin, among other cryptocurrencies, may soon be used legally in Ukraine once President Volodymyr Zelensky signs the legislation passed by Ukraine's parliament on September the 8th. The law will protect owners of virtual assets and exchange platforms from fraud, and rumors abound that Ukraine is gearing up to transition to a fully digitized economy and deem Bitcoin as legal tender. Okay, well, take that with a grain of salt, y'all. <clears throat> the legislation will help to determine how Ukraine will regulate the cryptocurrency market in the future as well as officially allow Bitcoin businesses to operate within the country. Since the creation of Bitcoin in 20 or 2009, sorry, cryptocurrencies have gone from being fringe topics and little known technology to a prolific financial instrument that has galvanized the public and grown to play a larger role in the, and, and reshape our global economy. The cryptocurrency economy is the next trillion dollar opportunity and is still in the beginning stages of innovation. The Ukrainian government, or more so the Ukrainian public, understands this opportunity and is driving societal progress towards taking the necessary steps to partake in this economic growth with recent legislation. Ukrainian representatives have reportedly gone to El Salvador to meet with officials there as the country has already made Bitcoin legal tender to potentially learn more about the implementation. <clears throat> Bitcoin is a form of currency which is exchanged solely in the digital world and is meant to be completely decentralized from government. This allows users to oversee and approve transactions on the blockchain, a decentralized public ledger, which is a growing list of records that can't be changed. These open online ledgers eliminate the need for a trusted intermediary such as a bank. Drafting pro-Bitcoin legislation is an important step for the booming cryptocurrency industry that reflects Ukraine's public sentiment. Cryptocurrencies are popular in the country, and it is estimated that over 5.5 million people, or 12.7% of Ukraine's total population, currently own some form of cryptocurrency, according to payment platform AAA. The pl blockchain data firm Chainalysis ranked Ukrainians among the top adopters of cryptocurrency in the world in September 2020. The Bitcoin mining space has, in, has interesting implications for Ukraine's energy sector, as Ukraine produces almost half of its electricity through 15, count them, 15 nuclear reactors. Jesus. Ukraine's Ministry of Energy <clears throat> excuse me, argued that Bitcoin mining is a contemporary and efficient way to, excess, to use excess energy. The Ministry of Energy has been looking for innovative solutions to tackle the issues of wasting energy and improving efficiency as the sector is plagued with inefficiencies and financial losses. The Bitcoin mining industry is an ideal partner to consume surplus power from nuclear reactors by taking excess electricity and using it for Bitcoin mining. This would help maintain energy output requirements while helping to attract new investment funds for Ukraine's nuclear power plants. 
This opportunity positions the Ukrainian government as a strong support node for the whole mining network, and it will help provide clean and sustainable Bitcoin mining, as well as a free market solution to the inefficiencies of the energy sector. The financial implications are vast. The state-run firm that operates the country's nuclear power plants, NAEC, Energoatom, posted losses of over $170 million in 2020. Bitcoin mining gives Ukraine's energy sector some life to emerge from the financial black hole. The mining project is already in play as Energoatom agreed on a deal that will see it supply energy to mining operators from Bitfury's crypto mining division. As a result, the Ukrainian government could mine Bitcoin and hold it within its reserves or they could deposit it into an account for every citizen or sell the Bitcoin to boost the national GDP. Ukrainians earned around $400 million from Bitcoin investments in 2020, making Ukraine's Bitcoin investors some of the richest in the world. The Bitcoin craze in Ukraine isn't just limited to the public, but has been embraced by Ukraine's civil servants and large swaths of the government. Ukraine's civil officials in early 2021 reported owning over $2.6 billion worth of Bitcoin, noting that the largest numbers of owners of cryptocurrencies work in city councils, the Ministry of Defense, and the National Police. According to the World Bank, almost 10% of Ukraine's GDP in 2020 from personal remittances being sent to Ukraine. Many Ukrainians have immigrated and continue to send money back home to their families, paying exorbitant money transfer fees via traditional banking methods. However, Bitcoin has changed everything. It allows Ukrainians a quicker and cheaper way to send money across borders without a bank or service operating as a middleman. Before the days of Bitcoin, the bank or service would convert the money, transfer the funds into the recipient's country, and then convert the funds back into the local currency. However, a study by the World Bank found that fees average around 6.38% of the amount sent. Even worse than the fees, the Ukrainian public has very little trust in Ukrainian banking systems due to severe corruption. Several large banks have collapsed. The Ukrainian government declared more than 90, that's 90 more than 90 banks insolvent, and many people lost money due to a constant flow of banking scandals. In 2016, <clears throat> the government stepped in to nationalize Privat Bank, which made up 20% of UK's banking sector after the government discovered over $5 billion was missing from its ledgers. The Ukrainian banking sector is widely believed to be dysfunctional and is dominated by corrupt oligarchs. After Russia invaded Ukraine in 2014, Ukraine's economy took a nosedive and the national currency, the hryvnia, lost 70% of its value against the dollar. This further undermined the savings and spending power of its public. Now the average person with smaller savings will often hide their money at home and won't bother storing it in a bank. Good Lord. After or even before this pattern of nefarious behavior began, the Ukrainian banking industry did not develop the same way as it did in the West after the collapse of the Soviet Union. The process of transferring funds was problematic due to a lack of infrastructure. Unscrupulous methods were then developed with financial instruments such as vouchers and exchanges that allowed for extensive money laundering schemes and questionable business practices. Given the high degree of corruption in the government, business and banking sectors, uh, the, the unlawful asset seizures by corrupt politicians and the collapse of several of Ukraine's prominent banks, it is only reasonable that the decentralized nature of Bitcoin appeals to the people. Ukrainians have turned to Bitcoin to protect their assets. The young, 
innovative population eagerly looks to the future and is ready to leave behind the scandalous and broken system. The desire for change is great and the Bitcoin or yeah, and the Bitcoin prospects for Ukraine are enormous. A supportive framework from the Ukrainian government for the digital asset space will allow more companies to grow in the space. Fund state taxes and drive further innovation as adoption of Bitcoin will only increase. With high adoption rates and the state promoting Bitcoin-friendly legislation, Ukraine has a chance to become one of the world's leading Bitcoin hubs. The opportunity should not be wasted. Here, here, people in Ukraine. I'm, I'm saying, Ukraine, what's going on in Latin America? If you don't see the future right now, I can't help you. The future lies right before us. It's, it's clear. It's clear as crystal. And what makes all of this work is the population of the world. Basically, we're not even going to, let's not even spend the energy to tell our various and respective governments to fuck off. Let's just make friends with each other. Whether we're in Ukraine, to the United States, from the United States to San Salvador, from San Salvador to Sao Paulo, I don't care. I literally don't even want to wait around for legislation of any in any way shape or form about anything anymore i think we can all vote together with the world's monetary system that's what's going to happen so ukraine sends and opens lightning channels to sao paulo i want to open many lightning channels to san salvador san salvador will develop a lightning network hub between themselves, Guatemala and Honduras, because those are their closest neighbors. And then it will spread like fire from there. And the Ukrainian that has their lightning channel that is open to somebody in San Salvador who becomes more and more connected as the network effect grows from San Salvador to infect from sea to shining sea. And all the way down south to the tip of South America and all the way up to the border of the United States and Canada, because I don't know if Canada is going to be able to do it. But if you are Canadian and you have communication capabilities and you run your own node, then don't wait for Trudeau and don't wait for the next elections. You just go ahead and start opening up whatever it is you can. But as this happens, as the network effect grows, Europe will be so much, will be indistinguishable in distance from San Salvador as I am in the Texas panhandle. Distances will collapse, borders will collapse. And we don't need to wait around to ask permission from our respective governments, our respective, you know, respective officials, our respective laws. We don't, we don't need to anymore. I think the world's population is just tired enough to not get into a shit show with their respective governments, but instead to build the one thing that their governments have been terrified of for the last 70, 150 years, their own personal, private, financial system. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. Billion dollar Bitcoin mining industry resumes in Iran after a three month ban. Brian Anuar has it for Cointelegraph. <clears throat> the Iranian government 
will allow licensed cryptocurrency miners to resume operations today following a three-month ban imposed by former President Hassan Rouhani on May the 26, 2021. Uh, the initial ban was put into effect due to concerns over the stability of the country's unreliable power grid. The Middle Eastern country experienced widespread power outages in the summer, which former President Rouhani attributed to extreme heat. On some days, the heat topped 120 degrees Fahrenheit or almost 50 degrees Celsius. In light of the power outages and water shortage, Rouhani decided to ban crypto mining during the heat to ensure citizens could keep their air conditioners running, although doubts have been expressed in some quarters about how much power crypto mining actually uses in the country. With the heat dying down and Ibrahim Raisi taking office as president on August the 3rd, 2021, the crypto mining ban has now been lifted. An estimated 45 to 7% of the world's cryptocurrency mining is done in Iran. It may come as little surprise that Iran boosts some of the cheapest electricity prices in the world thanks to abundant fossil fuel resources such as natural gas. There are some reports that suggest the country looks favorably on Bitcoin mining as a way to evade sanctions from the United States. Iran currently suffers from a near-complete embargo by the USA, negatively affecting the nation's economy. At current estimated levels of mining in Iran, revenues are estimated by elliptic via Reuters to be around $1 billion. Despite the ban, underground mining in the country, or rather suggests the country looks favorably on Bitcoin mining (coughs) as a way to evade sanctions from the United States. Iran currently suffers from a near-complete embargo by the United States, negatively affecting the nation's economy. I think, we, I think I've read this twice. Sorry, guys. Despite the ban, underground mining reportedly continued on Wednesday's news as Wednesday's news broke that Ali Sahari, the director of Tehran Stock Exchange, had resigned. Yes. Let's get into that one right now. What the hell are they talking about? Turner Wright has it for Cointelegraph. Tehran Stock Exchange CEO resigns following the discovery of Bitcoin miners in his basement. <laughs> Ali Sari, the chief executive officer of Tehran Stock Exchange since 2018, has reportedly resigned after the discovery of cryptocurrency mining rigs in the building. <laughs> According to a report from the country's state-run media, the Islamic Republic News Agency, Tehran Stock Exchange, or TSE, market vice president Mahmoud Ghazari will be leading the company following the departure of Sari. The change in leadership seems to be the result of, quote, a number of miners being discovered in the basement of the TSE building located in the district of Sarat Abad. The TSE reportedly initially denied the existence of the miners, saying the equipment was part of a research project. However, Executive Deputy Director said later that the company should be held accountable for its actions. Iran President Hassan Rouhani announced in May that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining would be prohibited over the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to that. Uh, during the ban, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so we, we they're just going to like do that story in reverse. Uh, yeah, the TSE president got hosed for having Bitcoin miners in the basement of the TSE building itself. You know, honestly, you should have just put it in your own basement or gone to grandma's house and used her basement. Surely your grandma has a basement. Eternal Beings NFT price plunges after rapper Lil Uzi Vert deletes promo Twitter posts. And that's all it takes, folks, to kill an NFT. 
Live by the sword, die by the sword. Brian Quarmby tells us more Coin Telegraph. The floor price for Eternal being non-fungible tokens or NFTs plunged after affiliated celebrity rapper Lil Uzi Vert deleted his promotional posts about the project. The Solana-based NFT project consists of 11,111 computer-generated alien avatar NFTs. That feature similar traits to Lil Uzi Vert, such as hair, tattoos, and fashion style. The NFTs were minted at a price of 2.5 sol, worth roughly $337 at the time of writing. While it's unclear if the popular rapper was on the team behind Eternal Beings or working purely, working purely as a paid promoter, the 26-year-old apparently deleted his promo post after the project's launch on Tuesday. The NFT collection sold out at the 2.5 sold mint price. However, after Lil Uzi Vert scrubbed his Twitter of mentions of the project, the floor price dipped to 1.76 sol or $225 according to data from secondary marketplace Solanart. The Eternal Beings community, consisting of around 44,000 Discord members, was sent into a panic after spotting that Lil Uzi Vert had removed all mentions, which led some to fear that the NFT drop was a scam or a rug pull. Of course it is. Screenshots of the project's Discord channel raises further questions, as the team's initial damage control consisted of a moderator launching into a rant full of explicatives that urged the pure idiots of fudding all at once to not panic as the floor will be raised and big money will start to pour in. Yay! That was soon followed up with an apology for the lack of professionalism, while the team stressed that Lil Uzi Vert has only temporarily walked back from the project so that he can focus on working on the launch of his new album. That doesn't even make sense. Let's see. There's only a couple more paragraphs here. According to the roadmap on the project's website, the team will seek out further celebrity ambassadors in the future. You know, okay, screw it, screw it, screw it. Let's go back to this one. Okay, that's the pretty much the end of the the end of the article anyway. That's all you need to know. <clears throat> Was yet one more bullshit NFT got got hosed. Let's read this one again. This was soon followed up with an apology for lack of professionalism while the team stressed that Lil Uzi Vert has only temporarily walked back from the project so that he can focus on working on the launch of his new album. So he had to scrub tweets to do that. That's what you're saying, right? I, I, I have to concentrate on, on many new things right now. I didn't go back and scrub my promotion. Or actually, they weren't paid promotional tweets. I just wanted to help promote Scott Sibley's project of uh, Shamari. Did, did, if, you, you know, if you have the time, you, you're more than welcome to walk back through my Twitter timeline and find you know, all the tweets that I've done for Scott Sibley. So, sorry, Scott, didn't mean to mispronounce the name. Scott Sibley. And see if there's if I've taken them off because I have to con now concentrate on on something you know something else. They're still there. I've I've promoted scarce.city because I believe in the project. I don't get money for any of this shit. I don't have to walk. I don't have to walk back any of these tweets. I haven't scrubbed. The only tweets that I scrub are something that just has really bad spelling in it or just you know, horrible grammar or, or it, like I accidentally uploaded a picture that I didn't mean to upload and I wanted to upload a different picture. This is the only time that I'll ever delete a tweet, honestly, you know, but, but I didn't have to walk back my shit so that I can concentrate on something new. Why does Lil Uzi Vert have to do it? It's because he's not doing it. He doesn't give a shit. I think he's out because this is the team stressing that he's only temporarily walked back. 
Okay, well then where's the word from Lil Uzi? See, ladies and gentlemen, this is the, the preponderance of NFTs are such that any idiot that has a couple of artists that can pay a couple of, you know, artists and has a really good, you know, graphic programmer on board can pull off the ability to make, mix and have a computer mix and match all these different, you know, components that you can get from Fiverr into an NFT. And then you get like some rapper like Lil Uzi to promote it. And then when Lil Uzi gets screwed over by the team, Lil Uzi deletes his fucking tweets and everybody gets rug pulled. That's the majority of NFTs right now. You, I, I won't go into the NFTs that I do think are worthwhile. I think they're game. I, I, I think they're gaming objects. But I've already done that twice. There's no need to do it again. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Friday and Dad Says Jokes is going to send you off into that sweet good night. I googled Lost Medieval Servant Boy. The result was this page cannot be found. Get it? Page. Yeah. All right. If you want to help support the show, I have a Patreon. It's Bitcoin and Podcast on Patreon. That's Bitcoin and Podcast, all one word. Uh, if you want to stream me Satoshis, which is my preferred method, uh, then you may do so on the Breeze Wallet, and I will stream you these dulcet tones while you stream me one, two, three to five, whatever sats per minute that you want, and they will go directly to my Lightning Wallet, which I hold on my Lightning Node, which is sitting, well, my interface is sitting, you know, two feet away from me, but it's honestly, it's out there in the, in, in the ether. Remember what I've told you about Latin America today, please. Keep your eye on the prize. And Latin America is going to be one of the ones that you're going to want to watch. Africa, clearly I'm watching, but Eastern Europe, I am very much have my eyes on the ball. But my favorite right now is Latin America. And I think I'm biased because I'm a Texan. And, and a lot of people don't realize this about most Texans don't have a problem with our Mexican neighbors because we have a relationship that Oklahoma does not have with, with Mexico. We have a relationship that uh, Louisiana does not have with Mexico. Hell, New Mexico and Mexico have a relationship that is very tight, but it's completely different than the relationship that Texas has with Mexico and the rest of Central America and South America. Right. We don't have the you will find news stories. They will pull some redneck out of his goddamn rebel flag bearing truck, pull him out on the street and ask him what he thinks about all the illegal aliens coming across the border. And he'll give you like the, the song and dance about ticker jobs and all that shit. But most of the most of the people that I know in Texas, we have a great amount of respect for Mexico because for a long time there, we were kicking each other's ass. They they destroyed us at the Alamo, and we completely wiped the floor with them a couple of weeks later at San Jacinto. We won. We got all the land to the Rio Grande. And then the Mexican-American War went down, you know, went down, 
and there was some other we've had a history together and essentially it's sort of like two brothers beating the living shit out of each other but they're still brothers i believe this and i think that we here in the western hemisphere have a shot at being able to build from the tip of chile to the top of alaska the uh, a hemisphere to be wondered at for the next millennia. That said, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. I'll see you on the other side of it. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.